Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. New Year, Lake Point family. And if you guys got your Bibles, head over to Luke chapter 11. That's going to be today. Um, Luke chapter 11. Um, hey, while you guys turn there, um, I do want to do something first week of the year. Um, before we step into what God is going to do um, for us at church, I want to remember what God just did. Here's why I want to do that. Because the forgetfulness is the greatest enemy of faith. It's when we forget what God did, that we stop believing what he'll do. And, and I really, really believe this, that whatever we fail to celebrate will eventually leave uh, our lives and our ministries. And so um, we, in 2021, we had like an absolutely mind-blowing, cannot believe God did that year. And so I want, to, I want us to give God the honor and glory that uh, he deserves for all of his goodness to us. And so uh, hang on, hang on, I'm actually going to show you what he did, and then, and then we'll do it together. It's going to be great, okay? And so let me do this. I'm, I'm going to give you the story of the last year in seven numbers. And, uh, and we'll celebrate at the end. Okay, so let's just snapshot. Here's what God did in the last year. So in 2021, our average combined weekend attendance uh, in person, online, everything grew to 18,546 people hearing about Jesus every week. We in one year, you in one year, gave away $7 million to missions through Lake One Church. Uh, we had our uh, resource initiative that we ended last year. We called it More Than Us with the goal of raising $15 million over the course of the next three years that would help, uh, that would help reach, train, and help not just people at Lake Point, but far, like, more than us. And, uh, and so this is actually a little mind-blowing, little quick update on this. Our goal was $15 million, and as of now, we're at $20.2 million um, to that uh, initiative. That's right, man. All you being very rebellious today. We were supposed to celebrate at the end. Um, we, last year, we planted our 48th church in a spiritually under-resourced uh, city in America. We added our seventh. Did you notice on uh, LP News now we say seven locations because we added our Mexico campus in Victoria, Mexico. Um, last year we distributed over 100,000 meals um, to food insecure people uh, in DFW through our food pantries. And guys, the number that's like, hey, this is like why we exist, beating heart of our church. Um, the, the cherry on top is last year we saw 1,149 people baptized in the name of Jesus. That's right. Let's give God the glory that he deserves and give him praise. Like, God, we are so thankful and we love you. We praise you for your gratefulness. 
And uh, man, we just, I never want to take that stuff for granted as a church. And so we, we just want to say thank you. All right. Well, I do just want to point out one thing that's coming up. As you heard in LP News, we are launching our next location, our North Dallas location. Uh, we got all the permits through, final constructions going through. We officially have a hard launch date for our North Dallas campus that is like right in like, you know, hub of Dallas really densely populated area. So I just need you to know this. If you've been around Lake Point and you've heard about all this church planting that Lake Point does, and you as a disciple, you've ever been like, man, I would love to be a part of a church plant, but I can't move my family. Well, there's a way for you to help plant a church this year without moving. Um, You can be on the launch team for our North Dallas campus. Um, We anticipate that campus because there's so much momentum in that area, we're, we're hoping to launch that campus with 1,000 people day one. What that means is we need a committed launch team of like 500 people that are like, hey, I'm attending that campus and serving at that campus for the first six months to have a core to get that campus um, off the ground. If you'd be willing to like uh, hit the, the upcoming interest meeting, I'm going to be there. We're going to talk about that, you know, roll out a, a, a bunch of the launch dates, that kind of thing. Just right now, like, stop listening to me and text the word LAUNCH to the number 20411, and, uh, and we'll do that this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Well, here's where we are. We are today starting a series I'm really excited about. The title of this series is, is here's what we're calling it. We're calling it The Rebel's Guide to Joy. I love it. The Rebel's Guide to Joy. And uh, here's why we're doing this. Um, I've got a deep conviction that uh, when people... So let me, let me start from, like, a pastor as missionary perspective. I think... When people come to church, they are not primarily on a truth quest. They're on a happiness quest. And so showing people how Jesus brings us joy is, the, is as important as showing the truth of him. And so uh, yeah, I just want to communicate to that need. Um, but here, here's what I also know. Whether you know it or not, you live in a nation that was founded as a social experiment in pursuit of joy. Um, If you don't believe me, I would like to uh, prove it with my handy-dandy screen over here. Let me quote from the Declaration of Independence, which speaks to our our certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Watch how that is worded, pursuit of happiness, okay? So here's what it's saying. It's going life, guaranteed. Liberty, guaranteed. Happiness, good luck, bro. You are on your own. You're welcome to pursue it. You're welcome to look for it while you're looking for like unicorns and likable Philadelphia Eagles players. You can, you know, whatever you want to do. You're welcome. You can go for it. Oh, thank you, man. I like y'all over here. That's it, man. You're, wel- <laughs> you're welcome. You can go at it. But let's be honest. When you look out at our nation, what you're going to notice is that we are terrible at attaining what we are pursuing. So I got, I, had a, I got a bunch of stats that I could just like machine gun rapid fire to you. Let me boil it all down. Here's what sociologists say about the generation that is alive right now, okay? Generation that is alive right now, 21st century American generation, is the angriest, loneliest, most depressed generation that has ever existed. Okay? Now, don't believe me. Like I said, I can machine gun rapid fire some stats. I'll give you two really quick. Three years ago, the Surgeon General of the United States. So this is pre-COVID. Like it would be worse now. Three years ago, the Surgeon General of the United States looked out at everything that's going on in the world. Why are suicide rates higher than they've been since World War II? What's going on? Like, and he said, Here, here's a problem. We have a loneliness epidemic in our nation. Like, no one has ever been lonelier than a 21st century American. That's one. Um, I'll give you another one. 
what is the pop quiz class? What is the number one most prescribed medication class in America? It is antidepressants. Antidepressants, number one uh, most prescribed medication in America. And as I already mentioned, suicide rates are higher than they've been since World War II. Angriest, loneliest, most depressed generation in history. Now, let me speak in a really straightforward way with you. Okay, You organizational leaders, there's a phrase you've heard before. Let me apply it to this. The system is perfectly designed to produce the results that it's producing. That's always true. The system is perfectly designed to produce the results that it's getting. Applied to American life. The way that people normally live is perfectly designed to produce the angriest, loneliest, most depressed generation in history. Therefore, this is what I set all this to drive to. Why are we calling it the rebel's guide to joy? Here's why. Because if you want to get what no one else is getting, you've got to do what no one else is doing. That's the only way to do it. Let me get more specific. If you want to get what Jesus had, you've got to do what Jesus did. Did you guys know this? Uh, Let me just make sure we understand this. Y'all understand, Jesus was happy. Do you guys get that? The reason reason I point that out a lot... Oh man, I got a little thing about it. A lot of times when people see a visual representation of Jesus, it looks like he's like, it's like lots of hair, really pasty. He's looking off into the sky, like teary-eyed, like, you know, it just, it, he looks like a white woman with lots of hair brother whose dog just died. Okay? <laughs> Guys, Jesus was happy. Everywhere Jesus went, kids flocked to Jesus. Guys, people, kids don't flock to guys that aren't fun. It's like he had candy in his robes. Everyone went just, ah, you know, like that kind of thing. Uh, Jesus was a healer. There have been a few times in my life where I have seen, like this is a thing, by the way, I've seen God physically heal someone miraculously before. If you've ever seen that, like people don't walk out of that church service going, really appreciated the message, Pastor. Now what they do. People walk out of that service like, oh my God, can you believe what just happened? It's like a party, it's like a party erupts. Wherever it happens, there's like an, an infectious joy. There's actually a Bible verse that says this. The book of Hebrews says about Jesus that God, quote, anointed him with the oil of gladness above his companions. That's a Bible way of saying Jesus was the happiest man who ever lived. So if we want to get what Jesus had, we have to do what Jesus did. Okay, now what I want to talk about today, each week of the series, we're going to talk about like a way, one of the ways Jesus lived his life that is in stark contrast with the way that we tend to live our lives. What we're talking about today is, don't check out on me, okay? Don't check out on me. Is prayer in a time of distraction. Prayer in a time of distraction. Now, as soon as I say prayer, there's a lot of people who are like, okay, I'm out. I'll see you in 20 minutes, Josh, you know. Uh, and, and here's why I say that. I think a lot of people, one, it's like D.A. Carson, great theologian, says if you want to embarrass the average Christian, ask them about their prayer life. I think a lot of people, they're just like, man, like, it's just not, I've never really experienced anything powerful there. And it, I think we, we, it starts at a really young age, okay? How many of you had this experience as a kid? We're like, um, mom, dad, aunt, babysitters teaching you to pray. You kneel down, and they're like, all right, hey, let's, let's, let's say our prayers. And here's the prayer they taught you to pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. Oh, wow, there's a lot of you guys. <laughs> okay. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep, keep, keep going with me, okay? If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. Amen. Okay? 
And then dad was like, I'll see you in the morning, buddy. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, kids like, see you in the morning, dad. He's like, if you survive, son. You know, it's like this thing in us that's like from an early age, it's like, I have prayer. This is, I don't know, man. Or how many of you guys, like when God saved me in high school, like there was a radical, like an infectious, overwhelming love for Jesus. And I heard this quote about Martin Luther that he used to pray three hours every morning before he started his day. I was like, oh, bro, I'm going to do it. I'm in, man. Like, I want this power that's available. So I got in my room, locked my door, got a little metal folding chair out in my room, knelt down. I was like, I can't do three hours, but man, let's go for one, you know. And so I uh, set, set a little timer, that kind of thing. I was like, I'm going to pray for an hour. And y'all, I like, I poured out my soul. I mean, like, poured out. I'm praying for missionaries and unreached people groups. I'm confessing every known sin in my life. I'm praying the Lord's Prayer two, three different times. I'm praying for families, relatives, you know, lost people in my life. I'm doing all this. I'm quoting every Bible verse I know. At that time, I was like two or three. You know, I'm quoting everything I know. I mean, I'm like absolutely pouring my soul out as much as I can. I'm like, man, I wonder how long it's been. Check the timer. It's like four minutes. I'm like, oh man, this, this is rough, bro. This is rough. You know, how do I do this, you know? And, and, and this is so like when, we, when it comes to prayer, for a lot of us, it's just like not something we've ever really leaned into, okay? Now, here's why that's a problem. Apparently, Jesus' disciples, the people who knew Jesus, they looked at prayer and they were like, that's the secret to his whole life. That thing's the secret to his whole life. If you look down at Luke chapter 1, or Luke chapter 11, look at the very first verse how this passage starts off. And it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Circle that word, we're coming back to it. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, this is really interesting. This question I'm getting ready to read is the only time that anyone in Jesus' whole life asked him this question. They asked him, Lord, teach us to, and they asked, pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Here's what's really interesting. Jesus did a lot of awesome stuff. Nobody ever asked Jesus, teach me how to any of the other stuff Jesus did. He was the greatest preacher that ever lived. And, and he was followed around by 12 preachers. And none of them were ever like, Jesus, teach me to preach. Jesus walked around casting demons out of people like miraculously by touching them and speaking to them. People were never like, Jesus, teach us how to exercise principalities and powers. Jesus did like untold miracles everywhere he went. Nobody ever was like, Jesus, that water and the wine thing, how can I do that? Like, it's a long drive to Specs or never open on Sundays. Like, what do I, how do I, nobody ever did that. The only thing they ever, like seeing people do this right now, it's weird. Uh, the only thing anybody ever asked Jesus to teach him how to do is like, Jesus, teach me to pray. Here was their assumption. If we can pray like Jesus prayed, we'll have the power Jesus had. And man, we'll get all that other stuff if we can just learn to pray like Jesus. Can I say something to you? If the Bible's true, the quality of your life will largely be determined by the quality of your prayer. And if you pray small, ordinary, get-by prayers, you will end up with a small, ordinary, get-by life. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go, Jesus, teach us to pray. So that we can have the power that he had. Now dive into this passage with me. Pick up with me in, ele- in uh, Luke chapter 11 verse 2. And it says this. He said, I'm going to skip around a little bit. It says, he said to them, when you pray, say Father. Circle the word Father. Father. Jesus' assumption was that if we get the who, the how will take care of itself. 
Now, I'm, I'm coming back to that concept. Now, so when you say pray Father, now, skip down to verse 5. Jesus is going to contrast the concept of praying to a father with another concept to make a point. So track with me. And he tells this parable. It's like a story, okay? Jesus said it in verse 5. Suppose you got a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, let me three loaves of bread. Uh, a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. Now, this is lost on us, 21st century Americans. Let me take you back to first century Jewish people. Hospitality was like the highest cultural value. If you were a Jewish dude and another Jewish dude comes to you and needs either fed or housed, if you did not show that person that hospitality, you would be shamed and ostracized by the community. And Here's why I say this. When a first century Jew heard this story about a friend coming, hey, I, I, need, I need food, that, that kind of thing, a, a feeling of desperate urgency would have risen within them. Like, oh, okay. Now, desperation. Part of Jesus' teaching here is a lot of people think, man, the reason I'm not good at prayer is I'm just not disciplined enough. Jesus says, no, no, no. The, the reason you're not good at prayer is you're not desperate enough. Because when you've got desperation, you're going to have prayer. Desperation is going to lead to intercession, is what, is what Jesus says. So he keeps going on. He says, verse 7, and suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything. Now, first of all, let me just say, I completely respect that dude's response. In general, I like people who respect sleeping and naps. Respect the nap. In fact, let me just say, here's a, here's a question no one should ever ask. Are you asleep? No one should ever ask. There has to be another way to get that information. Like, stop, okay? So, so one, I, I respect this. But you got to understand why he says this. It, did you notice in this passage it said, I'm in bed with my children. Uh, first century Jewish person, everybody lived in a one-room house. Bed in the middle, mom and dad in the middle, all the kids would sleep around them. You guys who have had kids, you remember what that feeling is like? When you're, you get your last kid down to bed at night and you just kind of like barely slip the door closed and it's like, yeah, you know, in our, in our house, it's literally like nobody can get any ice until they wake up tomorrow morning. Like don't do anything. Okay. Well, in this story, this dude comes, he's banging on the door in the middle of the night, waking the whole family and kids up. And third thing I want to point out, he doesn't even come for an emergency. He's not going like, man, my wife's dying. She's bleeding out. Can you help? He's going, hey, man, I'm out of Pop-Tarts. Like, can you help me out? So none of these things. Now, Jesus finishes his story in verse 8. He says, I tell you, even though you're going to misunderstand this when I read it, so track. Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of his friendship, yet I tell you because of your, now circle this word. Some of your Bibles say shameless audacity. Some of your Bibles say impudence, boldness, cockiness. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, let me teach for a second here, okay? A lot of you, you might hear that, you may be like, oh man. So like Jesus is saying that God's like a grumpy neighbor and I've got to annoy him enough. And if I annoy him enough, then he's going to answer my prayer. Okay, well remember, the word parable means para. It means to cast alongside, okay? A lot of Jesus' parables, he tells a story and he's saying, God's like that. In this parable, Jesus is telling a story. He's going, God is not like that. In other words, Jesus is saying in this passage, he's going, hey, listen. If you could convince a crusty, cranky, get-off-my-lawn neighbor to give you a Pop-Tart at midnight, 
How much more do you think you can convince your heavenly father who died for you and loves you to give his kids something that he needs? How much more do you think that is true? In other words, Jesus is doing this. He's going, listen, if you get the who right, if you understand you're praying to a father, then the how is going to take care of itself. Now, let me just point this out. Every parent in the room understands this dynamic. We will give things to our kids when they ask of them at the most inconvenient times, the most insane things. You guys who have had kids, how, you know, we're doing a lot of kids stuff today. Just kind of stay with me. How many of you guys know that feeling where it's like you had either all or one of your kids were like, you're all asleep. Everybody's asleep. Your mom and dad are asleep. You're in bed, middle of the night. Pitter, patter, pitter, patter, pitter, patter. Kid comes in to your room, sidles up to your bed, and you have this feeling as a parent where like you kind of like gently wake up and you're like, I got this feeling like I'm being watched. <laughs> and you like look over to the side of the bed and it's like, oh, you know, you just like see these massive little, uh, for us it was our, our middle daughter Felicity all the time. It's like we would look over and be like, man, it's like a brown Chucky doll, like in our room, like staring at us over the bed, that kind of thing. And Felicity would do this thing where she'd like middle of the night just wake us up, and she would ask, like she'd ask stuff like this. She'd just be like, middle of the night, she'd be like, Daddy, can I have some water? You know, I'm like, what I'm thinking is like, bro, you literally walked past the water to get to our room. Like for real, you walked right past the water to get in here, okay? But she would do that, and, and what she would do is, is, listen, Felicity did that over and over and over again uh, when, when, uh, when we were parents. And every time she asked me one of those questions middle of the night, do you know how I responded every single time? Every single time I said, man, your mom's on the other side of the bed. She'd love to help. <laughs> no, if my kid comes into my room, what I do, as tired as I was, you know, I'd roll off the covers. I roll out of bed. I grab my daughter in my arms and pick up that little diaper butt, you know, and I just walk her over to the, okay, man, let's get you some water. Let's get you what you need. Okay, now listen, that's what I do for my kids. I won't do that for you. Um, if you come to my house Break it, let yourself into my house, sneak into my bedroom, wake me up in the middle of the night. You're not getting any water, you're getting shot. Like, welcome to Texas. Bam, bam, bam. Like, that's it. That we're done. You know, that, 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 that's it. So, but, but listen, but parents, they have this thing in them where we will give something to kids that we would never give to anything else. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you'll just understand the who that you're praying to a father that loves you, all the how stuff's going to take care of itself. You'll start asking, seeking, and knocking when you know you're talking to a dad. What he's saying is pray with shameless audacity. Pray big, impudent prayers. All through the scriptures, guys, we see this pattern. Elisha prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Okay, Joshua prayed for more daylight, and God made the sun stand still. One of the prophets prayed for protection, and his enemy was standing right in front of him and was kept from being able to recognize him. Do you know what the common denominator was? They all asked for the unthinkable. God wants you, listen, you're praying for a lot of needs in your life, that's awesome. You need to have at least one thing in your life that's unthinkable, that's impudent. That you're praying with like a shameless audacity, like big, bold prayers. You have not because you ask not. Let me give an example of this, like just real life. I had so many I had to choose from. I want to give one you're sitting in. So let me get this camera over here, and let's just show like a shot of this room, because people at our other campuses might not know where we are. Do you guys know how Lake Point got the building that we're sitting in in our Rockwall campus? Here's the story. 
Many years ago in 1995, Pastor Steve Stroop, our founding pastor, had been pastoring this church, and there was just an incredible move of God. And over those years, over on Dalrock Road, across the Lake Ray Hubbard building over there, that our church had grown from one service to two services to three to four to five. And we were absolutely tapped out. There was no more room or time slots for people to grow. And there wasn't really much space for the church to expand. But Steve, Pastor Steve knew that God had a heart for all people. He said, ask and I'll give the nations to you. And so Steve began to pray an impudent prayer. He began to pray something like, man, God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills and you own the hills themselves. God, I'm not, he started praying stuff like this. God, I'm not just asking for you to give a space to reach the people who are here. I'm asking for you to give a space to reach the people who are going to be here in decades to come. He asked a bold, impudent prayer. Now, when he began to pray, you have not because you ask not. But you ask and you will receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And as he began to pray, God began to work. And at that time, there was another church that was meeting in this facility that was really struggling. In this big 5,000-person room, they were down to three or 400 people. And the bondholders of that church's loan began to be scared that they would default on the loan and they'd lose everything. And so the bondholders of that church, as Steve began to pray, approached him and they offered him to purchase this building that was then in 1995 valued at $21 million. They offered it to him for $4.5 million. Now, do you know how much? Here's what happened. The church that was in this facility, they ended up approaching Pastor Steve to buy the smaller building that he was in on the other side of the lake. Do you know how much they offered him for that building? $4.5 million. That's exactly right. And so let let me put this in perspective. We as a church, we traded buildings... Our mortgage payment did not go up $1, and we changed from 1,300 seats to 5,000, from 18 acres to 36 acres. Praise God. (laughs) Now, Now listen, yes. And God heard that prayer. He didn't just give enough to reach the people that were there. He gave enough to reach the people who are now here decades later, here filling this room and at seven locations here and in two countries. Now, now, Now listen. There are things that God is willing to do, that he wants to do, that he is able to do in your life that he has not done because you have not prayed. You have not because you ask not. Ask, seek, knock, and the door will be open to you. Now listen, as soon as I say that, here's what I know. Some of you hear that and you're like, yeah, Josh, you don't understand. I did that and it didn't work. Like I prayed for the thing that I knew God wanted and it didn't happen. Okay, well, what happens in this passage is Jesus shows us a couple reasons. Guys, there are some reasons that God might not be answering your prayer. I'm going to give you four. Four reasons God might not be answering your prayer. Okay, let let me start with a heater. Number one, God might not be answering your prayer because you're praying like a hypocrite and not like a toddler. Okay, now here's why I say that. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 5. He said, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now really quick, the Greek word hypocrite, it's it's referring to an actor in a play. Somebody that wears a mask. Somebody who's saying one thing, but is thinking another thing. A mask wearer. Okay, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing on the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by others. In other words, a hypocrite is never saying what they're thinking. So in this example, he's going, here's how the hypocrite prays. Their mouth is saying, God, your glory, your glory, your glory, your glory. 
Their mind is saying, my glory, my glory, my glory, my glory. They're not praying what's actually, what they're actually thinking. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, I'm not answering anything they're praying. They already got what they really wanted. Now, here's the difference. Jesus says, we're supposed to pray like kids, like little kids. Do you guys know the difference between a hypocrite and a toddler? A hypocrite never says what they're actually thinking. Do you know what a toddler always says? Exactly what they're thinking. I, I, if you don't believe, I want to drive this home. Jan and I came across this little video this week, illustrated this perfectly. Hey, babe. Hmm. Would you still love me if I was fat? Yeah, of course. But, Mom, you are fat. Okay, that's it. Yeah. I told you. Okay? I told you. Now, listen. That's true. Kids are always like that. Kids don't. You guys calm down. I'm still preaching. Get back to the Bible. Okay? Kids have no filter. Anything that comes to their mind or their heart, they're going to say, listen, do you know what God's saying is the problem with some of your prayers? You got your filter on. You're not praying for what you have in your heart. You're praying what you're supposed to pray. You're praying with a filter on. What God's saying is, I want you to just, listen, I want to have a relationship with you. Will you just bring me your honest, unfiltered heart? Because that's what I want in prayer. When you guys read the Psalms, the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. 150 example prayers in the Psalms. When you read the Psalms, have you ever noticed how shocking some of the things David prays in the Psalms are? Like David, this is, I'm, I'm literally quoting the Bible here. David literally prays things like, God, will you please dash the children of my enemies against the rocks? Now, when the Bible says that, it's not saying that that was like the right and godly thing to pray. It's saying David was being honest about what was really in his heart. David prays things in the Psalms like, God, honestly, it seems like not following you is more fun than following you. God, it honestly, it doesn't even seem like you exist in this moment. God, where are you right now? It sure looks like you've abandoned me. Now, you may hear all that. You may go, well, that's sacrilegious. Nope, that's honest. And God's going, I want to have a relationship with you, and I can't relate to who you pretend to be. So when you pray to me, bring me your honest heart in prayer, and I'll hear those prayers. Okay? That's number one. Number two, let me speak to you in a really straightforward way. Some of you, God is not hearing your prayers because you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart. Matthew 5.23 says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're praying and worshiping, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Let me give you the theology of this really quick. Heaven is a place where everyone is forgiven. Hell is a place where no one is forgiven. So when you forgive, you pull heaven down into your life. And when you choose not to forgive, you pull hell up into your life. And it blocks your prayers. Jesus here is saying forgiveness is such a big deal to God. Watch this. When you have unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart, it's the only time when God says to you, you've got something more important to do than pray. God might not be answering your prayers because you got unforgiveness in your heart. Number three, he might not be answering your prayers because you're not adding seeking and knocking to your asking. I, gr I grew up in like a Baptist background. Our team was awesome at this. You know, it was, it was always like, man, we'd have this really huge thing we wanted to see God do, and we wouldn't actually do much about it. We'd be like, oh, man, all we can do is pray. We're, we're just praying. Okay? Uh, here's what this looks like in real life. Some guy's like, bro, 
I need a job. You're like, okay, man, you applying for any? No, man, I'm just praying. Well, you know, it would be great is if you were also resuming. Like, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Like, why don't we add some seeking and knocking to that asking? Or like, man, you're like a single guy at Lake Point. You're like, man, I really like to have a wife. Awesome, man, you asking anybody out? No, man, just praying for that model P31, man. Praying for that. Proverbs 31, man, I'm just, that's it. I'm just praying for God to bring me that model P31, okay? Well, well listen, you know, that's awesome. What also be awesome is like, man, like find a Jesus-loving girl and like do something about it. Like, and by the way, you're in an advantage because this is a hands-up worship environment. Do you know why I say that? Guys, you're walking in, you can be checking fingers. You can be walking in and you're like, man, ring, 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 empty. Oh, empty, man. Any seats over here? Like, what's going on, man? Like, we're trying to help you out. Like, let's add some seeking and knocking to the asking. The book of James says this. It says, I will show you my faith by what I do. God might not be answering your prayer because you're not adding seeking and knocking to asking. Now, last one, number four, God might not be answering your prayer because actually he is, but he's doing it in his way. Did you notice in this passage what Jesus says is, what father, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Think about this. Here's the implication. God is never going to give you something that's bad for you. And whether you know it or not, a lot of times what you're praying for is actually bad for you. Can, can I be really honest? I am so glad God did not answer all my 16-year-old prayers. I am so glad. I'd be married to the wrong girl. I would have died in a, a car wreck in a Mazda Miata going 200 miles an hour. You know, by the way, a Mazda Miata couldn't go 200 miles an hour if you pushed it off a cliff. There ain't no way. That's a, that's a, that's a wing and a prayer there. But, but, but I'm so glad. There were so many times in high, high school, college, where I was like begging God for like some girl to like me or want to be with me. And then it didn't happen. I'd be like, ah, oh, God, where are you? You see the same girl 20 years later, you're like, you were with me. You know, it's like, man, like, listen, in the words of the great immortal theologian Garth Brooks, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Do you know what Jesus is saying in this passage? He's like, man, what dad, if his son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? What he's saying is, well, let me, so here, here, here's my example. When our oldest daughter, Eliana, was young, every time she got sick, we would check her temperature with a thermometer. She began to develop the belief that the thermometer is what made her better. And so every time, like, she'd skin her knees or she'd bust up her nose playing outside, she'd have bloody knees and she'd be going, thermometer, thermometer. She would ask for the thermometer, but we wouldn't give her the thermometer. We would give her Neosporin and a Band-Aid. Do you know what we were doing? We were giving her what she would have asked for if she knew everything that we know. Do you guys know what God does when you pray? He gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. And sometimes what we have to do in prayer is we ask, seek, and knock with great faith and big boldness. And then at the end of the day we go, Father, not my will, but yours be done. We, we got to do that. All right, now, let me, let me land here. Let me get just real practical really quick. Okay, number one, there's two things I want to come out of this message for you to develop a way to joy in prayer. Okay, number one, in this passage, it says that Jesus went to, quote, a certain place. You need in your life a certain place. You need a holy place and a holy habit. It might be your car. I, got, I literally have notifications on my iPhone. That's how I get reminded to pray every morning and what to pray for. But you need something, a holy place and a holy habit in your life to prompt you into a life of prayer. Let me just ask you a diagnostic question. What would be different in the world 
if God answered every prayer you have prayed in the last month? Now, for some of you, it'd be like, dude, unreached people groups would know Jesus the hungry would be fed, orphans would be adopted, there'd be reconciliation in our nation, like massive outpouring of God's spirit, revival, prodigal children coming home, the glory of God shining like the, you know, the waters over the sea, all that stuff. For some of you, like, your food would be really blessed. Man, you, you, would, you would have had awesome traveling mercies. And God has gone, man, if you will just ask, seek, and knock, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out more. Will you do that? So that's number one, personally. Now, number two, um, we developed a deep conviction this year. This message has been stirring in me for quite a while. That this year, 2022, there's a lot, like, this is a big year in the life of Lake Point. Launching school, ministry, new campuses. We want to see an outpouring of God's Spirit on our church. In the Bible, people don't just pray individually. The church prays together corporately. And so this year, as you heard, coming up in just a couple weeks, we are pausing all, like literally every ministry is pausing on a Wednesday night. It's on January 19th. The entire church is pausing, and we're going to gather in one room, this room, combined prayer service, English, Spanish, together. It's going to be like for one prayer and worship night to, and I'm using this word intentionally, to cry out to the living God to stretch out his hand, to perform signs and wonders and vindicate the name of his son Jesus for his glory. And I'm asking you to gather as a church to cry out to him in intense, aggressive prayer. I want to do that so that we can see a power that maybe we've never seen before. Okay, now let me land the plane like this. We tend to think of prayer as something calm. In the Bible, prayer is something violent. Um, Have you ever noticed this? In the Old Testament, when Elisha, prays for rain the bible says that he quote put his head between his hands and his knees now do you know what he was doing what he was doing is he was putting himself in the jewish birthing position he was like going man i'm getting ready to do something violent and bloody (laughs) And God, I'm crying out to you as if in labor pains. Um, This has always been really interesting to me. None of the Gospels mention this. But the author of Hebrews, who we don't know who they were, records that Jesus, I'm going to read it. Jesus offered up prayers with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus apparently was violent in prayer. Um, There are some blessings that God will only pour out when his people begin to cry out. Charles Finney, this is where I want to finish. Charles Finney um, was a, a, a preacher in the 1800s who saw like an outpouring of God's, like a revival, an outpouring of God's spirit in New York City. Um, hundreds of thousands of people. So many people were converted in New York City under the ministry of Charles Finney that uh, they started asking pastors from all the churches in the countryside to leave their churches and come to New York City to care for all the people who were being converted. And there was this one church, Third Presbyterian Church in Rochester, New York, 
that uh, was so, I can't believe they did this. It, they, were, they had the gall to tell Charles Finney, you need to come preach at our church because you stole our pastor for a few months and you owe us. And so uh, against the wisdom of the people around him, um, Charles Finney decided to go to Third Presbyterian Church in Rochester, New York, and he preached 96 sermons. Within six months, over 100,000 people in that tiny little area came to Christ. There was an outpouring of God's Spirit that swept this area. There was one church historian that said that was the greatest outpouring of the Spirit in a single region in church history. Now, uh, you may go, what, why was there such power on the ministry of Charles Finney? Where did that come from? Maybe his sermons were that awesome. Okay, I'm a preacher, and so I've read some of his sermons. They're fine, you know. They're fine. Yeah, I, I read some of his sermons. like, it's a good sermon. But, bro, I've, I've got like a banger from 2019 that crushes that. You know, it's like, they're, they're good. They're good. But here, here's, here's why there was a power on it. Um, there's a man almost no one has ever heard of named Daniel Nash. His friends called him Father Nash, who he felt like covenantally connected to Charles Finney for prayer. And every time Charles Finney was going somewhere, he would go a month in advance with people, and they would just begin to pray for, I'm going to use a Bible verse, they would pray for divine power to tear down strongholds. They would just like violently pray for God to pour out his spirit and do miracles. And uh, there are literally stories of Daniel Nash. They would go around town and they would get the names of the most notorious sinners in the city in a list. They would get in a room and they would like pray for them by name. And they would pray these violent prayers. You know, they pray things like, Holy Spirit, hunt them down haunt their dreams, give them no rest. I am summoning the hound of heaven on their godless heart. You know, like they were just like at it in prayer. And uh, when uh, I had a friend who actually went to visit Father Nash's uh, grave, and I, you can see it, it just says, together with Finney, mighty in prayer. What an amazing testimony of somebody's life. Mighty in prayer. And uh, here's what's really interesting. The exact year Father Nash died, Charles Finney's ministry died out. Power, okay? Uh, Charles Finney said this about Father Nash. I'm going to full screen it because it's that important to me for you to see it. He said about him, he said, I've never known a person sweat blood, talking about Jesus at Gethsemane. I've never known a person sweat blood while they were praying, but I have known a person pray until blood started from his nose. Let that sink in for a second. I've known persons pray till they were all wet with perspiration in the coldest weather of winter. I've known persons pray for hours till their strength was all exhausted with the agony of their minds. Okay. Now, I've seen some people like pray, pray. I've never seen somebody get a nosebleed while they were praying. And you may hear that and you may go, man, that's like... That's really intense. Okay, yeah, it is. You know what else is intense? A million young people are walking away from the church every year in our country. That's intense. You know what's intense? Political division in our nation, unlike everything we, anything we've seen since the Civil War. That's intense. You know what's intense? The rise of godlessness and opposition to the gospel in our culture. That's intense. 
Why do our prayers not match the intensity of the obstacle? And there are some things that God is waiting to do until we pray with an intensity that matches the moment. And so Lake Point Church, I'm just asking on January 19th for us to gather. And man, don't listen. Don't come into this room to golf clap and mumble a few prayers. We want to wage war on behalf of our church, on behalf of our children, on behalf of your grandchildren, on behalf of our nation, for God to stretch out his hand and pour out power from on high for us to see those things happen. So can I just pray right now that this spirit will begin to pervade us as a church and pervade your life. And so I want to pray for you. And so Father, right now, I do. Holy Spirit, we invite and welcome you here. And I ask that a spirit of intercession and prayer would begin to sweep over and be birthed in greater measure in our church. Father, I pray that as we begin to pray, that you would shake us, and that as we are shaken with otherworldly power, that we would shake the foundations of the earth. That that the glory of God would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Um, Father, I I do. I just want to pray right in accordance with your word from Acts 4. I I am praying for this. I am praying for you to stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders in our midst to vindicate the name of your servant Jesus so that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Father, I'm praying for gen- that generations of families might be changed because some mom or some dad in 2022 in January started praying with an eagerness and you heard from heaven and you responded to the cries of your children. So God, please do that as you pour out power. I pray that someday, decades from now, we might look back at January 2022 and go, that was a moment when we began to experience a power that we had not experienced before. We ask that. We ask it for your glory in the name of your crucified, risen son, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.